Hello, all you beautiful people. Welcome to War on Weak Sauce. Today on War on Weak Sauce, we have Anthony Grajeda talks about his time overseas, how it has affected him, and his near-death experience from a roadside bomb. Grajeda opens up about how he almost took his own life when things became too much to bear. We also discuss the trials and tribulations he has overcome and why he decided it was time to become sober. Welcome, and welcome, Grajeda. That's what I call you. That's what I'm comfortable with. That's what um, all my military brothers uh, call each other by their last names. How you doing, bud? Doing good, brother. Doing good. You know, just just trying to stay alive, trying to make ends meet like the rest of us. You know how it goes. That's right. Um, Grajeda and I were in A school together. You were a few um, classes ahead of me, and you joined. We, we ended up at the same battalion, um, NMCB4. Prior to uh, NMCB4 or the Bs, you were with the Fleet Navy, um, right? Can you tell us what, where you were at with the Navy? Yeah, I was stationed out of Lamore, California with an with an F-18 Super Hornet squadron called F-8, or called DFA-115. And so I did my first deployment with them, my first float. And then, like, halfway through the deployment, because I was an undesignated airman, they're like, hey, did you find the right you wanted to be? And I had met some CPs before, and they told me, they're like, yeah, we never go on a boat. And I'm like, well, I kind of like that idea. Um, so I requested that, and they got approved, and then they shipped me right. So as soon as our deployment ended, the West Tech 2000 on the USS Abraham Lincoln, they shipped me right to um, Gulfport, Mississippi. I did BUA school there, and then they shipped me right off to NMCB4 with you fine gentlemen. Okay, so when you say undesignated, just for the audience, that means when you went to boot camp, you didn't have a job. You just, you, um, you went in undesignated, and you didn't have a rate, they call it, I think, in the Navy, don't they? Yeah, that's correct. So you, you enlist with the possibility of actually getting to choose whatever job you want. You know, as long as it's open and your unit approves it, then you get to choose what you want. Typically, um, if they if you're an undesignated animal, they would prefer if you stayed in the aviation unit. If you're an undesignated um, seaman, then, you know, somewhere in there and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, so they... They sent me in the Navy without a job, and I just completely went way, way out of what they were kind of expecting me to do. Instead of being in the in the aviation field, I decided to be a CB. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting I, I because I went in with a job and a designation, so I never really knew um, what. And that's where I think the, the name uh, non-rate comes from, you know. Uh, you know, I have a rate, and uh, that was kind of like a derogatory term, I remember, um, in the military. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about it. So you went, you went from the regular fleet, undesignated, became a CB. You went into the Army. You got out of the Navy. Your, your enlistment ended, and then you went into the Army. So you were a civilian for, what, a a few days? Yeah, for 74 days. I got out of the Navy, 
And 74 days later, I was at Fort Benning, Georgia, attending basic training. So you had to go to you had to go to boot camp with the army as well. Yeah, and it was it was kind of funny, and it kind of pissed me off at the same time um, because I I went there, and two weeks later, after I started basic training, they started this program called uh, Blue to Green, to where when you went from another branch of service to the army, you didn't have to redo boot camp. You would just have to go through these refresher courses. And I was just like, really? I, if I would have waited two weeks, I would have gone to that program. But it was all good. I met a bunch of good guys. Awesome. What was it? So you're like, a, you're a E5 or an E4, one of the two, going into boot camp, right? What's it like to be have uh, the rank of an E5 or an E4 in, the mil, in boot camp? Is that... Is that strange? Well, it was, I think my circumstance was a little bit different because I, I was an E4 uh, when, I, when I went into the Army. And they, you know, they kind of don't really, they kind of, you know, blanket everybody like, hey, look, everybody gets treated the same. But when my drill sergeants had found out that I had just gotten back from Iraq, they, they were like, oh, okay. Um, we don't really know what to do with this guy. Um, and so... Like they let me teach classes on the on the Mark 19, and you know, give refresher courses on this and that, and they let me talk with a bunch of the other people what you know what my perspective of the war was, and so I never really got um, PT'd. I never really got smoked. Smoked is you know the army designation for you know as you're in trouble, want to do some push-ups. Right. Um, so I I never really got smoked as an individual as a group, of course. Um, but they they didn't take it easy on me but they kind of already knew that I knew what I was doing. I wasn't a brand new soldier. I wasn't, they weren't, they weren't training me for war. They were kind of refreshing it. And, you know, they were just kind of going through the motions with me. So I, it was, army boot camp was a little bit easier for me than it was for the rest of the guys. Which right. Was kind of nice. Yeah. So, I mean, at that time, I, I think it was, what, 2003 or four, the war was pretty new. And I'm sure, <laughs> you were the only guy there that had been to war. I mean, including your drill sergeants, right? Well, my, my drill sergeants hadn't even been to war yet. Right. That's no, what I'm because, saying. Oh it, yeah. It, it was probably a unique experience because you had, you know, you're a, at this point, you're a boot camp, you know, you have rank on your collar and you've been to war and um, these guys are trying to, teach you military bearing when they've never been to war. Um, yeah. And, and so that's what I mean by unique experience. Um, oh, yes. It's got to be, it's got to be very strange. And I can, I could see where, you know, if I was in their position, you know, I, I would have a lot of respect for you and it'd be hard to, you know, smoke you or, or PTU, whatever, you know, um, each branch calls it, but, uh, yeah, so that's a unique experience and for sure. Um, um I, I'd like to hear what, I think Miss Stahl went in at the same time you did. And, uh, I'd like to hear what his experience was like in boot camp uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, um, so you've been, so with the, um, with the bees, you went on the deployment to Iraq in 03 did you do any deployments with the army? I did. I I did. I did four 
I did five more, but my deployments were only like two weeks long and three, three weeks long, which is kind of different. I, um, so I, I went into the army and they sent me to a school, um, to learn how to do Bradley's, um, halfway through that school, they came down and said, Hey, this job isn't going to exist in the army anymore. Um, you are, you're going to, you'll finish this class, you'll finish the school, and then we're going to send you to a unit. Um, but there was my, my job didn't exist. So again, I was undesignated in the army, which was kind of different. That's kind of, it was kind of unheard of, you know? So they just sent me to some unit, some air defense artillery unit. And I got, it was kind of cool because I got lucky. Um, since I did that, they just put me on force protection programs and trainings and things like that. And then this unit came through and they were looking for an extra gun that could, that could go to the unit and deploy with them. And since I really didn't have a job, um, they, they picked me up um, and I would stay in El Paso, Texas, except when the team was going to deploy. So we would deploy and those guys, and I was just an extra gun with them whenever they needed it, which was kind of cool. That's interesting. You find yourself undesignated again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of, not, not by design, but just kind of how things worked out. That's interesting. So you did multiple deployments with the army for for shorter periods of time when you would come back did you have a did you have a significant time off like you know home port if you will um yeah yeah i did um so my unit uh 34388 they never really um they didn't go anywhere um but when they were then they got ready to go to korea so they went to Korea, and then I went to another unit, and then I became, uh, then I did a few more things. Then I went to, then I became an interrogator in the army, and so then I went to that school, so which was kind of nice. That's awesome. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing, honestly, um, in the military. Did you? Um, how long was that school? The school was about four and a half months. Was that in? So, so you're enlisted. Did they, when you go to a school that four and a half months, did they make you sign an extension or anything? Yeah. So I had to, I had to re-enlist. Um, yeah. So I just, I, I re-enlisted for it. So, but I was only two years in and so they wanted me to extend it. So I had another four years total. Yeah, because the government wants to get their bang for their buck, man. They don't want to send you to a school that costs them thousands of dollars and only get maybe a year or two out of you. So, yeah. and then on top of that, if you're in a school for four months, you know that's basically half a year. So, yeah. um, that's awesome. I, I, I again, like I'm, I didn't know that was a thing, and I feel like that's something I would love to do. Did you try to like? Did you try to get into that when you got out of the military? Is that something you enjoy? You sounds like you enjoyed it. Well, I, I did. I, I loved it. I loved it more than anything. You know, running a game uh, with teams like that, you know, is is fantastic. Um, I I got out because I was discharged with severe PTSD after some of the things that I went through as an individual. Yeah. And then, but. Then I applied with alphabet agencies and nobody wanted to touch me. I applied with law enforcement. I even tried to join the Marine Corps once I got out of the once I got out of the army. 
and um, nobody nobody wanted to touch me. Nobody, no security, no alphabet agency. Because I was just a big red flag, and they were worried about what if I have flashbacks, and what if this happens, and what if that happens. Because when I got out, PTSD it was there, but it wasn't as recognizable as it is today. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the one thing I hate about the diagnosis of PTSD. Like they, you know, somebody has PTSD and they automatically assume you were in the military, you know, it's, um, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. And, um, I, I remember being diagnosed. I, I didn't even think I, I was with my ex-wife at the time. And, uh, we were at the VA and they were asking me what my diagnosis were. And, uh, I told them I didn't have any. And she's like, well, you got PTSD. We see it right here on our, you know, our screen. And I'm like, well, I, I, you know, like, I don't know if I just denied it or, you know, I was like afraid of having this stigma sounded, you know, made me feel weak. Um, or, you know, like I, I couldn't handle something. So I, I, I don't know if I just kind of, you know, suppressed that or what. I don't, I honestly don't ever remember them telling me I had this diagnosis. And then um, after them telling me that, I was like, well, shit, if I have this diagnosis, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to apply for, um, you know, PTSD compensation. And um, which brings me to my next topic with you. What what was it like getting out um, when you got out um, and dealing with the VA and the claim process? How did that go? Was your experience good or bad? Um, at first, I, the Army released me, um, and they didn't say, hey, you know, this is what you need to do. Try this. Go here. Um, this is the best. Did I, they medically they said, retire you? No, they didn't retire me. They just released me because my PTSD was so severe. And people kept saying, no, you need to get a lawyer and see if they'll medically retire you. And I, it's not something that I just wanted to deal with. I was like, you know what, I'm out. It, it is what it is. I, it, it was sad that they told me, because they told me, they straight up told me, hey, you are no longer good for the fight. We can't use you anymore. And so that, that broke my heart because I dedicated, you know, these past eight years for it. And so I got out and there was no... I had no direction. There was no, hey, yeah, go try this, go here. These people will help you. It was, you know, so long, see you. Um, or sorry, we can't use you anymore. And so it was heartbreaking. But my dad, he's an Army Ranger veteran. And he said, no, he said, hey, go to the VA and see what they could do. Let them know. Take all your paperwork, all your medical records. But when I went to the VA, um, I just took what I had. My medical records had got lost in transition, and they didn't find my medical records until 2017. Uh, 2016, they finally found my medical records. They popped up magically. Um, but from 2007, yeah, so for 10 years, nobody had any idea where my medical records were. There's no record of them. There's no file of them, anything like that. So I was kind of dealing with that. And so my dad said, yeah, go to the VA, try it. And so they, I went through and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll give you 40%. And then uh, I, I sell mattresses for a living. And so I sold a mattress to this lady, and she had worked for this program that it, it was absolutely free and they fought for veterans 
to get, you know, to see. So they go through your record and say, hey, you know what, we can do something. There's nothing we can do. And she said, you know what? She said, no. She said, we're, we're fighting this, you know. And so for a year, she just battled for me and battled for me and battled for me and battled for me. And, you know, then one day she said, hey, um, you, um, she said, they approved you. She said, you're going to, you're 100% disabled now. Um, she said, you should be getting a check, you know, directly deposited. And I swear it, at that moment, my, my bank account went bing, and a $37,000 check was, was in my bank account. I was like, what? Yeah. Oh, 40, 42,000. Yeah. I know a guy um, that I went to therapy with who, um, I don't, they, they, they kept denying him. You know, he applied 10 years before he got approved. And he got like this crazy $250,000 check. I was just like, man, what's, you know, what did you do? I hope you bought a house, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so that's, so in 2016, they finally approved you. When, like how long was, how many years was that prior to you getting out? Um, so I got out in 2007. And okay. in 2000, yeah, in 2016, they found my records and they went through it. So they only paid me for a year, uh, back paid me for a year. But but it, it was an easy process. The VA has been so good to me. I think it's one of those yeah. things where you're willing to be patient and realize that it's kind of a funnel system. You know, you have this bucket of sand trying to go through this little water funnel um, to get appointments and, and to make in and and it's hard and it's one of those things you got to realize but where i live yeah. the va system is in san luis obispo county is phenomenal and they are there for you there's a million resources here you know and there's, yeah. there's people out there's people and there's resources out there that people don't even know about that they that they don't even try you know you do a quick google search and people are ecstatic people are excited to help you to be there for you to to, to help you win is what they want yeah, I, I've I've kind of had the same experiences actually. To be honest, like um, in St. Pete, when I went through uh, residential therapy, it was I thought they were great. You know, I mean, there's a lot of salty veterans out there. I think that just you know nothing's ever going to satisfy them, and um, you know <laughs> you could bring them the world on a platter, and they'll still be pretty salty. Um, I think. I think that comes from like a lot of people like yourself, man, you have a way, you have a great outlook on, on things, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, they planned on being in for, you know, their 20 or 30 years and, you know, the military, you know, you, you do, you give them everything you got, blood, sweat, and tears. And then, you know, they tell you, Hey, by the way, you're, you're no good to us anymore. And I could see where people get really offended and salty and um, hurt because, you know, they feel like this is what they were called to do. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, swept out from underneath them. And then they struggle to figure out what the fuck it is they're meant to do for, you know, the better part of their life. And so I could see where a lot of, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is I see both sides of that coin and I, like i wouldn't i wouldn't blame you one bit if you came on this podcast and told me you know what benny you know fuck the va fuck the government i gave my life my blood sweat and tears to the military the government 
And at the end of the day, they told me I wasn't good enough because I had post-traumatic stress and that's, and, and, and I was, I wasn't fit for duty anymore, but that's, you know, that's because I was over there. I was in the thick of things. And I, you know, this is, this is a consequence of putting me in, you know, in the, on deployments and then the thick of things. And I, so I wouldn't blame you one bit, Greta, if you came on this podcast and said that, but the fact that you're telling me that the VA is great, that's a, that's great, man. It's, it's rare to hear. Um, I'm sure you have different feelings about the army though. What are your feelings towards the army about telling you, Hey, listen, you know, you're not, you're not fit for duty. You know what, that was, I was heartbroken. I was, I, I was absolutely crushed. I thought I'm going to do this bad boy forever. Um, but I, at first I was, I was upset. I was extremely salty, you know, but I, I think when I sat back and realized that, you know, uh, at that time they had to do what was best for them. I was more of a liability than in their eyes, of course, you know, cause everything's about paperwork and what this paperwork says and what that paperwork says. And I was just, you know, I was angry. I was, I was upset. I was, you know, but at the same time I, I started to become an alcoholic. I was drinking, you know, 24 to 30 pack of, of beer a day. And it was, was killing me. And, um, and so I, I, I see the, I see it now. I have, I have no, I'm not mad at the army. They, they gave me a great time. You know, um, they took care of me. They gave me everything I needed, you know, but I, I kept volunteering for these, for these two week, three week missions over there. I, it was, it was all about just volunteering and going over there. And so I kind of see like, you know, this is one of those things that I, I did this to myself. You know, I asked for this, you know, I realized the consequences of this and, you know, and I'm not, I'm not upset because I'm still alive. I'm not dead, you know, because what if I would have went on one more, then I wouldn't be here and maybe my kids wouldn't be here, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, not, yeah. Upset. I'm not angry at the system at all. Yeah, man, you sound like a lot of uh, veterans I talk to on a daily basis, man. Um Nobody wants to, you know, I guess when I, like the greatest thing about the military and veterans that I know that have gotten out is they, they fucking take the blame, you know, like you, you own up to whatever it is, whether like some person next to you thinks it's insane that you're taking this, you know, blame or, you know, accepting this, um, that's, just, that's what it is. And, um, that's what I hear in your voice, man. You're just like, Hey man, you know, I had a great time when it, when it, you know, uh, the army and the Navy, you know, everything was great. And, um, I did this to myself, you know, it almost like, you know, brings a little bit of tears in my eyes because, um, there's so many, so many men and women out there like that. And, you know, you, you, you seem to be doing well. Some of them are struggling and, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, and, and, and they don't, they don't look for help. They don't know where to get help. You know, like you were saying earlier, you, you sell mattresses for a living and it was just by chance that you ran into somebody that helped you, you know, what if you didn't run into that person and you were still struggling to this day, you know, that's, 
that's where things are a little bit, you know, that's where I, I, I guess I struggle with the whole system and the way it's designed. Um, everybody, like I would say 90% of the people I meet that are veterans that have a high disability rating or a hundred percent are some people, somebody they ran into somebody to help them out, you know? Yeah. I got I like I, this story you're telling me is so reminiscent of, you know, 10 or 20 different stories I've heard, man. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, if you feel like you've, you, you, and, and that's the other thing too. Like I want to be able to help fellow veterans and, um, help them, you know, go through the system because they're, once you, it seems like once you learn the system and you're able to cut through the red tape and the prop, you know, I think things become a little bit easier, but it's a matter of learning the system, but the system's so fucked up or I wouldn't say it's, it, it's so it's so different, I guess, is what I mean. Like when you think about the math, you can be designated, you know, 50% for hearing loss and 70% for post-traumatic stress. You're still not at 100. You know what I mean? Like their math is yeah. different than everybody else's. And so not only their math, but just navigating the whole VA system is a little bit difficult. But it sounds like once you learn how to navigate it, you're good to go. And that's where you're at today. And you're telling me that, you know, you're, you're super happy with the VA system and they've done nothing but, you know, treat you well. And, and, um, but when you, prior to that, prior to this lady, this person helping you from the mattress store, do you feel like you were a little bit salty towards the VA? You were a little bit upset with them? What were your thoughts prior to that? No, I've I've never I've never ever been upset with the VA. I and I think just because my mindset says, hey, it's going to take a while. Just be patient. There's a ton of veterans getting out right now, and some of these guys are worse off than you, so they need help. You know, it's where I live. It's if you call and make an appointment, they they book you, and that's that, and you are you are absolutely good to go. Uh, I've, I've never, ever, ever been salty with the VA. I've, I've kind of been to the point where I'm like, you know, I wish they would have given me a higher disability since the, um, since the, since I was discharged and they said that I can't fight for them anymore. Um, but after that, I was kind of like, mm, you know, it is what it is. Go with, go with the flow. Um, and I applied for a higher, for a higher disability at, at times and got denied, but I'm just like, you know, the, the bureaucracy says, Hey, this is, this is it. This is what it is. Um, so, so I just kind of, I went with that. I was grateful to get any, any little thing that I could get because they were paying for my healthcare. So it's not like something I wasn't, you know, anything I needed, the VA gave me, it was never, it was never, ever an issue. Yeah. Well, I've had my ups and downs with the VA. I will never talk bad about them to civilians or, or um, if they ask me because like they seem to you know take something and run with it you know like they um, you know if I have a bad experience and I tell them about it they, they, they blow it out of proportion um, whereas if I had a bad experience and I called you and talked to you about it you know it would just be an isolated incident that you know whereas like I feel like 
civilians who haven't been part of the VA or haven't been there, um, you know, they just hear the bad press. And if you tell them one, you know, it doesn't even have to be a bad experience. It could have, you know, a negative connotation and they will just take it and run with it and, um, and, and, and chastise the VA. And I agree with you, man. I, like I said earlier, I've had a, I've, but I've lived all, all over the country and I've had different experiences with different VAs. So that's, you know, um, St. Petersburg, I think has, is the best VA I've ever been to in Florida um, when I was living out there. And um, Chicago was really, really good too. Like, um, cause I would go to the Chicago VA I went to was in Great Lakes where the boot camp is. And so not only did, not only did veterans go there, but it was active duty, you know? So it was like, you know, and they had, a lot of military on staff there as well. So it was a different, uh, you know, a whole different animal in itself. And, and in Cincinnati, I, you know, again, I, I I have nothing bad to say. Um, They've been really good to me as well. So let's, let's go over a few of your diagnoses. Do you have um, post-traumatic stress? Obviously Um, that's why the, the army decided you weren't fit for duty. Do you have any um, knee, back, or any joint problems? I know when I got out, uh, like even while I was in um, in boot camp, I stepped on a curb the wrong way during a run and um, did something to my knee. But, you know, like the nature of boot camp, you just suck it up or, you know, and keep going. You don't want to get recycled. (laughs) Right, exactly. You don't want that to happen. And then I just ended up, and I just ended up just, um, just kind of sucking it up during my, you know, uh, military career. And uh, when I got out, I mean, to this day, like, it, you know, if I'm on my feet feeling, my knees just well up. I don't know if you have any of those problems. Um, well, I was in a, I do, I have, I have tinnitus in my ear, but I was in a roadside bomb. Roadside bomb went off um, on one of the humpies I was in, and I ended up, like I, I fractured my spine, my collarbone, my neck. Um, I ended up with a little bit of shrapnel in my shoulders, my hip, my intestine, my spine, my legs. And so I, I kind of deal with that, um, a lot of pain. And since I refuse to take narcotics, um, I take even more um, painkillers and this and that and this and that. So I take, I probably have 13 different medications I take every day. I think since I really refuse to take narcotics and some are for nerve damage and you know, some are for pain and some for PTSD. And, but, you know, I, I do got a couple injuries that hurt. My my spine, my back is always throbbing and always killing me. Always killing me. I'm I'm always in pain. And, I'm, you know, but when I, I just see too many veterans go down the wrong road with narcotics. And so that's why I refuse to take it. Yeah. Um, yeah, like there was this program at... Uh... Bay Pines VA when I was in residential treatment for drug and alcohol. But they had like the PTSD guys on one side and the drug and alcohol guys on another side. But, you know, talking to those guys, you know, I feel bad for them. They, you know, they're, they had injuries, you know, due to the war and just, you know, the military and they 
they prescribe them. And it's not the VA specifically, it's just medical practice in general. They prescribe, they prescribe these, um, you know, opiates, I think, you know, I think is the proper word, uh, like uh, oxycodone and oxycotton. And these guys just get severely hooked on, you know, it's like a heroin addiction. It's kind of the same yeah. thing. And, um, and, you know, it's like their life is, you know, essentially over. They, they, you know, heroin addiction is the hardest thing to kick, you know, and these guys are in and out of these, um, you know, programs throughout their whole life, you know, and I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would say just from my own experience, maybe, you know, one out of 10 guys end up, you know, getting clean. And so I, yeah, dude, I, I, I hear you a hundred percent with the narcotics, especially if you're drinking alcohol, you know, um, on top of that, you know, wouldn't take you, t- it wouldn't take you much time to, you know, kill yourself, you know, with the kidneys of your liver. So, um, that's, that's, so talk a little bit, if you don't mind about the roadside bomb. So there were two Humvees and we were on our way. But I remember I was running the turret in a 50 cal. And I just remember, I remember seeing the first Humvee go up inside. So they must have daisy chained um, the setup. And there were just two big berms. And so they daisy chained the setup. And the, I remember seeing the first Humvee go off. And then I just remember feeling all this pressure and all this heat. And I kind of woke up. And I was like, oh, I remember my, my back was killing me because I didn't have a back plate in. Um, I, I didn't really think I needed it for some stupid reason. And um, my foot had got caught in the strap because when I woke up, my foot was still there. And so I think I, I hit in the turret and slammed my head into it. And I think that's matter what caused me unconscious. But we lost we lost six guys in that one. Wow. So and yeah, so that was that was rough. That was yeah. a rough one. Yeah. So, um, if you don't mind explaining Daisy Chain for the audience out there, um, it's a it's yeah, a it's a tactical military strategy. Yeah, Daisy Chain is like like them old Chinese firecrackers where you light it and they go pop 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 pop, pop and there's like thirty or forty of them in a row. I guess that would be the easiest way to, to explain right. Daisy Chain to where they they connect where they either go off all at the same time. Or they go off in sequence, right? And sometimes, sometimes they'll they'll daisy chain for distraction, and yeah, and, oh yeah, and, and then ambush you. Um, yeah, and, um, yeah, man. It's uh, I'm sorry you had to go through that, man. It's jeez, uh, it's it's a lot to it's a lot to consume and a lot to deal with. You know, like. I don't think the, you know, average American understands, you know, we're, we're so, we're so spoiled here, you know? Um, and I remember when we went into different countries and we'd see, you know, like third world countries, we'd see like poverty and, and, and what these kids and people grow up around, 
you know, it's Americans are so spoiled in the sense that their reality is 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 false. You know, like they they live in a bubble. You know, don't and that was one of the things I really struggled with when I got out, and that's you know just talking to people about what their problems were and they thought they were problems. That's where I became more salty than ever. Like I did, I was never really salty with the VA or, you know, the, you know, the government. I was more salty with the average American that I was surrounded by and what they considered a problem and what, you know, I, I could sleep on a park bench and be homeless and still live a better life than most people in this world. And they just never under really understood that, and that's where I struggled. I don't know. I don't know if you felt the same way. Um, what, what were your thoughts on when you got out and like, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I couldn't stand the fact that some of the things that pe- people would bitch about and blow blow up about for no fucking reason. Like I I, I would go in a restaurant and see somebody's meal that was that was barely cooked off. They want medium rare steak and, and they, or they wanted a rare steak and they got a medium rare and we just blow up. I'm like, dude, just be glad that you got a fucking steak to eat. You know, that people would complain that their AC needed to be fixed that day. And it was, the guy wasn't going to be there from, he wasn't going to be there at two, he's going to be there at four. And they were just irate about it, you know, or having to wait in, the, in a line for 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, this is, this is fucking it. You know, or their dad and mommy didn't buy them this or, or didn't get them that or so-and-so didn't give them this or, or they feel like they deserve this and they're not getting it. I'm like, do you, do you not know what it's fucking like? Do you not know how grateful you are? And I just, just with society in general, I became I became really reclusive about who I would go out with and, and where I would hang out. And just because I got tired of hearing the dumb fucking bullshit, you know, the stupid things that people would complain and cry and be upset about. I'm like, no, I'm like, my buddies and brothers aren't coming home. That's something to be, that's, you know, some of these guys are shot, they're losing legs. That's something to complain about. You know, if I got a, if I got a cold soda once a month, I was extremely grateful, you know, and people are, are grateful that their soda isn't as cold as they were hoping it would be, you know, that they yeah. had to wait in, in, in Starbucks line for eight minutes instead of getting it instant, instantly, you know? Yeah, man, I think it's all about perspective. And I think that's why, you know, I'm not totally against, you know, the nation. I think Germany sends every, you know, American, or I'm sorry, every German national male to um, the military for two years after high school. I, I think that's a great idea. I'm not totally against it. You know, first of all, like when I got, when I got out of high school, I was not mature enough to go to college and take it serious, you know? Um, yeah. or any, any job rather. And I, I don't know, man, the military really changed my life and made me grow up. I, prior to going in and, and serving in different countries, I was just, I was one of those people that I can't stand and, uh, would bitch about different things. Well, you know, I mean, every teenager I think has issues and bitches about different things, but yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm grateful, and I remember when I um, when I would come home from my first my first deployment I came home from, and people kept telling me how I changed, and I'm like, well, yeah, don't 
like isn't this a process of growing up don't you change you know like and um you know they were hanging out the same bars and doing the same thing they were doing um you know prior to me leaving and um uh and i I wasn't really into that when i when i you know when i came home from my first deployment um but anyways yeah i digress a little bit there i didn't mean to go off on my you know get off on my soapbox there um yeah (laughs) right (laughs) yeah that's the one thing that drives me crazy is how you know people well you know you'll find you know you'll find people you know and 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 not real well-off people you know just just your average american and what they complain about and what like how we feel about things are completely different i like I remember I, I I don't get so political, but the one thing that drives me crazy is when people, you know, during the riots they were burning our flag and spitting on it and stepping on it. it well, that drove me crazy. You know, like if you want to kneel oh, during yeah. the if you want to kneel during the national anthem, that's a different thing, right? That's your right. That's why that's why guys like you and I went over to um, you know um, you know defend those rights. So you have that yeah. right. That's that's different. That to me, that is not a disgrace to the national flag. To to the flag. To me, when you spit on it, burn it, and stomp on it, I want like what I want to do is I want to go to those people and I want to be like, hey, listen, you know, I want you to understand that every family that was presented a folded flag during a ceremony, during a, a funeral or a memorial, I want you to go to that. And, and 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 see how they feel about the flag, and you know, and 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 understand their ultimate sac, what 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 their family sacrificed, and yeah. uh, so I like those people are the bottom of the barrel to me. So I like I I have no patience or or anything for that, man. Um, what let's talk. Let's move on to a little bit about the family life. I know, like we said earlier, you have four kids, three girls, one boy. I have two girls, so I never got the boy. And they're beautiful little girls, man. Thank, thank you. Likewise, man, you got you got a beautiful family, man. And uh, geez, thank you, brother. Uh, yeah, and I, I I know what it's like to to raise two girls. I can't imagine three and then a boy throwing in the wrench, like you know, so. Props to you, man. That's that's nowadays that's a big family, you know, like four kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our 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 peers don't usually have four children. That's 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 on the large side of. Like, I I grew up. I have uh, ten siblings. So, you know, like I'm less. You know, we, we don't mess around. You know, like it's we're you grow up Catholic and. And you just have yeah, a lot of sure. brothers and sisters. So, um, but uh, what's your what was the family life like? I know, are you separated or are you divorced? We're we're separated right now. Uh, we've okay. been separated for about about a year and a half now, maybe maybe a little bit longer. Um, and I was, you know, I, I haven't had a drink in maybe two and a half years, but I. Uh, I was, you know, I was, like I said, I was drinking 18, 24, 30 packs a day, 
and I'd get up and go to work, and I'd come home, and, and that's what my routine was all. And I was just, I didn't always treat her like she deserved. You know, I always thought, you know, if I buy her things, um, it'll make up for it. But I, I, I never really got to appreciate her and show her the love that she deserved. She stood by me, stood by me, stood by me. And I don't, I don't blame her for, for not wanting to be with me anymore after that, you know. But, so I have three kids with her, and my oldest daughter is with a previous girlfriend. And I remember um, that right after I got out, I was, I was very sad. I was salty, like I said. I was, I was kind of upset. And I figured one day, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit suicide. And I was going to jump off this bridge right here in my hometown because um, it was the tallest bridge in town. And, you know, and I, and I knew it would be for sure there would be nothing. And on my way to do it, I got this phone call from my ex-girlfriend. And she's like, hey, I need to tell you something. And I had just given away all my shit. And, you know, I, I, I was in a good mood. I, I knew life was going to be better for me, for everybody else once I was gone because I was always sad and depressed and so on my way to this bridge I get this phone call and I was like hey what's up what's going on and she's like hey um you're gonna be a dad and I was like what and she's like I'm pregnant Anthony and I was like oh shit and she said um she said I want to give you a little bit of time to think about it so she gave me some time um, so right after we hung up, I just thought, oh, man, how am I going to get all my shit back now? You know, cause I, <laughs> I wasn't going to leave. Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, when I was, when I was real young, I, I didn't have a good father figure. It wasn't my mom. My mom married her ex-husband, uh, Hector, um, who was on the ranger who really put a lot of, a lot of, you know, pride and showed a lot of work ethic in me, you know, and then I met my biological dad. And, you know, he as well put a lot of pride and, and, and work ethic and, and helped build me up to be who I am today. But I was I was going to do it. And then being a dad was my greatest experience. You know, her and her mom separated um, before she got before she had the baby because we had broken up. And then she told me she was pregnant. And I, and I knew it was mine. She was a she was a good woman. She was faithful. Um, and then I met the kid's mom and we had three more kids. And I, and I love it, man. I, I love being a dad. I remember um, one of the big things that helped get me sober was where, where it was kind of one of the first wake-up calls for me that my kids, they would go to the park and I would always get beer and to take them to the park. And they figured out that the longer I had, or the bigger beer I had or the more beer I had, because I wasn't going to bring it home, um, the longer they would get to play. So they'd say, Daddy, get the big one. You had to get this back. You had to get this. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I, and I was just kind of like, fuck, man. And then I, and then my work paid for me to go to another retreat for veterans with PTSD because I had another, I had another breakdown. And so there I met this, this Marine and he was a, he was a sponsor for, for uh, Alcohols Anonymous. And, you know, I got to talking with him. And, and since that day, I haven't had a drink of alcohol. And that was April 27th of 2018. Wow, man. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You, you, kind of hit, you kind of hit me with the, uh, with the suicide. I like, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're here with us, brother, man. I, I like, it, I hear a lot of stories about how people are, you know, on their way 
And uh, I'm not a big, like, I'm not, like, I'm not a big person with the church, or but I, I am a faithful person. And uh, it's strange how, you know, when you're at, when you're at the bottom of the barrel, you know, somebody unexpectedly calls you and, um, yeah, that's great. I'm so glad. I'm so grateful you're still with us, man. Um, what, what, what was the driver to make you feel like you were gonna, like, what, what made you think like, Hey, listen, you know, this isn't working out. I'm better off dead than alive. Like what, 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 what drove you to that point? I think I, I kind of just had no, no direction. You know, like I said, I was angry and I was, and I was upset and I had just been drinking and I, I felt like I wasn't going anywhere in life. You know, I couldn't find a job and, and life was just, you know, my, my day, every day consisted of me going to the store getting beer, coming home and drinking. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's what I did. That's all I did. That's every day. I just felt like I wasn't productive that, you know, if the, if the military didn't want me, you know, then, then why would any, why would anybody else want me? You know, why is there, there's no reason to live. I'm sitting here as I'm just a drain on my parents. You know, I, I had money, I had money rolling in and I had, they gave me a big check when I got out, but yeah, they were just kind of like, you know, this is, this is what it is. And, and my life just felt so mundane so dark yeah. and, and all I could, and the only way I could sleep was if I drank myself to sleep and I got tired of having, um, flashbacks and nightmares. And I just got, I just got tired and I couldn't live with it anymore. You know? And I said, you know, the combination of all these things is no way that I want to live. There's, there's no reason to be here. Um, until I, I planned it out for like a week or two in advance and I knew I was going to do it. And I, I didn't, and I'm glad it didn't happen, but, you know, the reason I got into the program that I got into for my work is because um, I tried to I tried to do it again. My, my wife found me trying to hang myself in the shower. And this was some years later, and this was 2015. And she begged me. She said, hey, she said, you can't do this. And I remember she got on the phone that day, or I, I went to work the next day, and she had found this program, and she she talked to them. She had been calling my boss, and I didn't even know about it. And her and my boss worked out, uh, or not my boss, the owner. Yeah, so my boss, the owner of the company, he kind of worked out this scenario where you know they would go and they would they would pay for it, and you know, and I talked to the lady who this lady named Ann Black with the word connection. She called me on my day off and said, Hey, look, this is what we're going to do. You know, this seems kind of emergency. And I was like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And then I, I, I hung up the phone and my wife just begged me. She's like, please, please. She's like, if this doesn't work, I understand. She's like, please, for the kids, for me, just do this, just do this. And so I went to that program and it really, it really, really saved my life, you know, and the fact that my work just kind of said, Hey, you know what, we're going to do this. There's no questions about it. Um, and it was, it was amazing. And, and since then I've, I've been doing my best, you know, and then every other year, my company, they send me to a retreat for veterans. Which they send me to the same, the word connection. Um, and then years that I don't go, they would send my, my wife to go. 
And so that way she would know, hey, this is what we deal with. This is what we want you to, to learn how to deal with. Right. Wow, man. What? Where Where are you at with your – I know you've been separated for a year and a half, but where are you at with your your wife? Do you feel like you guys may – me figure it out and get it together. I, you know, I I hope on it. I've since I've been sober, I've trying I've been trying to make it up to her, you know, and show yeah. that I I'm a better man. I, I'm who that she deserves to be with. Um, but I I can't, you know, I can't. I completely understand why she has her reserves about you know wanting to be with me again. You know, but we talk and. And I would like, I tell her every day that I love her and that I miss her and that I think she's beautiful. There's not a day that goes by when I don't tell her that. And I, I tell her that I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But, and I, I would love to be back with her, you know, but now it's just kind of up to her, you know, kind of finding it in her heart to forgive me for the way I was, you know, 10 years in the makeup for 10. Yeah. Yeah. No, but we're well, trying. We're, we're trying. <clears throat> Well, I, I I wish nothing but the best for you, dude. I I'm I'm glad we had this conversation. Um, every time I talk to a different vet, like it opens my eyes differently. Um, everybody has their own story and and, and different way they got there. Um, but even though you're separated from your wife or your you know your the love of your life, it definitely sounds like you figure things out, man. You, you, you're, you're on the right path. You know, you're 180 degrees different from what I can tell, um, prior to going into this, um, treatment. And, uh, oh, yeah. I like, I just want, like, uh, with raising awareness with veteran suicide and veteran, you know, suffering, I also want to raise awareness to different veterans like, hey, man, you know, there's hope out there, you know, like there's, there's, you know, there's resources and there's, there's something out there that can help you, you know, you just got to be willing to put in the work. And I think as long as, you know, it's a 50-50 thing, right? Like as long, you know, you, they're going to put in the work to help you, but you got to meet them halfway. And that's absolutely, you know, that's anything I've ever, you know, experienced in life. And, um, um, so, and it sounds like, you know, you're just the guy that puts 110% in everything. So congratulations on, on your recovery and your sober, um, uh, you know, I, I love you, man. You're, you're a military brother and, if you ever need anything, if you want to talk or anything, please call me, man. I know we don't have, you know, this long-standing relationship or friendship like a lot of people do. Um, but I'm here for you, man. I'm here for for all my my brothers and sisters, and um, I, I I think this was a really powerful um, podcast. I think this will you know, help out. And I think, yeah, this is huge, man. I really appreciate your time. 
And uh, I, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on the show, man. I, I fucking love you, man. You always you always been a good man. You always been you know you always been so easygoing, you know. And I and I appreciate yeah. it. And it was I loved reconnecting with you, man. And if you ever need to talk, you have my phone number. So I don't care what time it is and what time zone. If you need me, you fucking call me. Okay. Thank you. This was War on Week Sauce. Please catch us weekly with different veterans and sports vignettes with my brother Timmy. Thank you for listening.